NFM Ann Arbor. And coming up, we have Living Writers after a brief message. Hope you've enjoyed Jazz with Fava Beans and a nice Chianti today. And just give me one second here while I make sure the music's not playing. And we'll see you next week, 4 to 5 p.m. At the tone, you'll be tuned to WCBN FM, Ann Arbor. Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and I'm so happy today to be sitting here in the studio in real life with poets Katie Hartsock and Jennifer Metzger. Their books on the table with us, Wolf Trees by Katie Hartsock, Hypergraphia and Other Failed Attempts at Paradise by Jennifer Metzger. So um, let's just get started, and then I'll read the bios in a little bit um, because Katie thanks for picking the first song for today's program um, could you say maybe why you chose this one well it is about becoming friends with someone at school <laughs> and back in the fall of 2005 I was lucky enough to meet Jennifer Metzger in an MFA workshop here at the University of Michigan and um, kind of idolized her from the start. <laughs> and it's really special to be sitting next to her today, reading Aww. from our poems. So. <laughs> it's also such a sweet little ditty. It so. is, it is. Um, and this, I think the first workshop ever for at least Katie, you and me, because Jennifer, mm-hmm. you were here the year before, yeah. so you were right. already like the wiser one of the poetry uh, fellows here. Or, or more jaded, you never. <laughs> I, I mean, probably the both, right? <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Um, and, but we were in Khaled Matawa's uh, workshop together. And yeah, I, yeah. Re- I remember your poems back then having balloons. Oh, Jennifer, yeah, there's always and, balloons. <laughs> and, <laughs> And Katie, with yours, also, it's. I was not surprised to see some Latin and Greek creeping their way, not creeping their way, but announcing themselves within the poems here. Um, yeah, so it's it's really lovely to be here. With and, you and I'll say too, it was so wonderful when you joined us. That was just such a delight to have your energy. You both just brought the best energy into that class. So, thank you. So it's it's a song for all of us here at this table yeah because yeah new friendships and how long it's been and so amazing yeah 
So long. Okay. It's like almost as old as a wolf tree, I think. <laughs> almost as old. Um, okay. So so we do. We have two books today. We've got poems ahead of us, um, some good conversation, and we're so glad you're listening. Thanks for tuning in today, folks. Um, before we go any further, because otherwise... You know I'll forget. I'm going to read the bios for both our poets today. Um, these episodes on living writers, I just, I don't know, I get kind of, I get super excited for. And then um, it's also kind of emotional because yeah. it's so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's so, it's good to be here. And also National Poetry Month. Yes. Oh, happy Poetry Month. Happy Poetry Month. <laughs> to everyone out there. And Per Jennifer Metzger, April is the coolest month. Yes, but I also I remind me to tell you my April April is the cruelest month joke that I let's have it. Okay, so I want to redo T. S. Eliot's bo- book uh, as a diet book, The Waistbands. <laughs> April is the cruelest month. You must get your body into swimsuit shape. Oh, no. <laughs> and I think we should take all the modernists and redo them as self help. I, oh, that is a great idea. I, I, yeah. I, I would like a... Marie, Marie, get on the treadmill. <laughs> Marie, Marie. <laughs> I feel like I need a bodysuit just for this conversation. Okay, here we go. Um, so in, in Wolf Trees, at the back of Wolf Trees, Katie Hartsock is the author of two poetry collections, Wolf Trees and Bed of Impatience, both from Abel Muse Press. Her poems appear widely in journals such as Ecotone, Poetry, Kenyon Review, 32 Poems, The Three Penny Review, Birmingham Poetry Review, Greensboro Review, Pleiades, Dapple Things, The New Criterion, and Beloit Poetry Journal. She is an associate professor of English and creative writing at Oakland University in Michigan. She lives in Ann Arbor with her husband and their young sons. And um, you're also, you're, you're guesting here for the Zell Writers I, Program yes. this semester. Yeah, which has been great. Woo! Okay, the crowd goes wild. Um, we've Go got, blue. We've got a, a, a studio audience today, too, Stephanie and Leah. So I think that they're, they, maybe they are going, going woo. They're doing the too. wave. And many thanks to Frank Hewley for engineering and making us sound good. Um, and now, from the back of Hypergraphia and Other Failed Attempts at Paradise, Jennifer Metzger is the writing coordinator at the Stamp School of Art and Design. She received her MFA in poetry from the University of Michigan and studied painting at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Her poetry has been published in Beloit Poetry Review, the Southern Review, the Michigan Quarterly Review, Gulf Coast Rhino, Cream City Review, Bird Feast, and many other journals. She has also had poetry published on Verse Daily and Poetry Daily. Her audio poetry has been featured on the BBC radio program, Shortcuts. Many, many welcomes to you both. Thank you. Thank you so much, T. Thanks for being here um, in the basement. And hopefully there are no tornadoes above Mm. anywhere for anyone out there in Michigan listening or beyond anywhere in the world, wherever you are. Hope the weather's fine. Let's talk about the two books. Um, Katie, yours is coming hot off the press soon because it's this is the publishing year for Wolf Trees yes. with Abel Muse Press. Um, t- yeah, woo! Tell us a little bit about this experience and and um, oh, and before you go, 
I promise I'm going to stop talking in a second. But this Friday, I want to tell everyone listening that this Friday at Literati, 6.30 p.m., Katie Hartsock, Jennifer Metzger will be reading at 6.30 p.m. at Literati this Friday with both these books. Um, So poems, poems, poems. Okay. Yeah, so please come join us. Pack in that second floor. It will be really fun. Um, And I'm just so honored to be reading with Jennifer and um, happy to be here and yeah Wolf Trees is a little bit like book from the future right now because um, there were just a little bit of delays last year and it's in pre-release now and it's officially getting published um, in September which feels far away right now but when that comes it won't feel far away anymore. So, um, and we have physical copies. And we have a hard, yeah, yeah. They're in, they're in person. I will have copy. Literati will have copies. Um, so, um, I'm really, really thrilled with Wolf Trees, and really grateful to my editor Alex Peppel at Able Muse. Um, he's, you know, supported my work. He also published my first book, and um, when he um, accepted this, I was thrilled, and I'm, I'm also thrilled that the cover image um, is by um, an artist named James Dexter Havens. And I started writing a lot of the poems in Wolf Trees when the very idea of a wolf tree started to let me write about my diabetes. Um, I was diagnosed late with type 1 diabetes when I was 27 years old, and it was a life-changing thing. Um, and I wasn't able to write about it for several years. <clears throat> but when I heard my father-in-law, actually, thank you, David Geltner, uh, was walking one day with our family, and he pointed at a tree and said, that's a wolf tree. And I thought, what? What is that? Because, Katie, you love trees. I do. And I've always loved trees. And But I never heard the phrase, a wolf tree. Um And I learned that it means different things in different parts of the U.S. It can mean either a tree alone in a field that was preserved when the rest of the forest was cut down to make way for farms and grazing land, um, and also like to provide shade for animals. Or if the farm failed and the younger forest grew up around that old tree, then there's like this older, bigger tree in the forest, often craggier and snaggier and you know, um, than the rest of the trees. So in either case, the trees are a remnant of a former ecology and kind of a survivor. And as I'd lived with diabetes for years then, I kind of had started to think of myself that way, especially given that insulin had been invented less than a century ago, which before then, you know, and, and diabetes is really old disease, like you know, the ancient Greeks and Egyptians talk about it. I mean, it's really, um, in fact, diabetes is ancient Greek for just sieve to, to go through. Um, and I talk about that in one of the poems in the title, Poem Wolf Trees. Um, when, you're, when it's untreated, your body is a sieve because you just like try to drink to process everything. Um, and so... Um, to get back to the cover, um, there was a young man, James Dexter Havens, and he was dying of type 1 diabetes in 1922, and he was 22 years old, and he was the first American to receive this newly invented drug, insulin. Um, another great etymology, insulin, comes from insula, for, which is Latin for island, because the scientists had found the right islands to extract from blood to re- remake the um, the function of insulin, and um, uh, so also in the book, yes, trees, you're you're yes. able to weave this history and the, these discoveries that you've had 
into the the stories here. Yeah, yeah, and I think and you, I mean my friends and my students all they all know I love etymologies. So, uh, but those were really you know the idea of insulin coming from island just felt like, and and also that idea of like survivor or the lonely or the wolf tree like the the thing that's alone but it's actually not alone. Uh, that's like actually deeply connected. Um, so yeah, so the the cover art is by him, and he his life he was the first life in America to be saved by insulin, and he went on to have this amazing career as an artist. And I adore I adore the cover, and it's of a tree looking the point of view of looking up from right underneath the branches, standing next to the trunk, which is a pose I have struck in my <laughs> life. So <laughs> and it's a woodcut print, and it's a woodcut, yeah, which makes it I think extra lovely, and you can see the kind of like. It goes over the edges on a bit, which I love those little scratches. So, and there's also a plane yes. and clouds, yeah, yeah, which I think speaks to the technology of the time he lived in. So I kind of love that there's a plane there. Um, so I love this art talk. With I know I have my art, yes. some art students are listening, and I'm sure they're thrilled to hear about this cover. Jennifer, talk to us about your your title. Hypergraphia oh, yeah. and other failed attempts at paradise, and your cover, because there's also a story here. Yes. There. Well, yes. Um, my cover is actually um, the way that New Issues uh, does their covers is they give um, they let the students at the um, design school do, uh, do the like they they. So I got a whole bunch of covers to pick from, and I picked this one. Um, they asked me questions like, "What are some things that matter to you?" And one of them was televisions. Um, which is, is interesting that this is the way it came out because tel- I, I can't watch television. I have a deep fear of, of wa- at least alone. I can watch it with others. But because of my experiences with psychosis and, um, and depression, both, uh, the TV causes a lot of uh, problems for me. I actually even have a poem in here about being in the hospital and how they won't let you turn the TV off. They don't seem to understand that actually it makes us feel worse. Um, but this came back and I thought how funny that the TV is like blocking mm. the way forward. I really... Um, on the path, on the on road. On the path. And I, and I really like the apocalyptic colors of the green and the red. Um, and, and they always just use two colors. And so I had like dozens of color choices to choose from. But I really like this kind of... I don't even know what kind of red or pink this is. And what like the colors, I didn't couldn't name them even. So I... And I love a weird color that I can't quite know what to call it. So... Um, that's why I chose this cover. And the 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 colors together it feels discordant. They're like very like, discordant. Yes. Yeah, like that's a, what I like too. Like an electricity there, or yeah, so. Yeah, because there were some that were a lot more natural looking, and I thought, no, that's not right. Like it has to feel really bizarre and little scary, you know. So uh, that's why I chose these. And what about the title? The title. Oh, itself? the title. Yeah, the title. Um, when I have, when I'm in a state of mania, I get hypergraphia, which means is, is the, the word means that you can't stop writing. It's a it's a sim- syndrome where you can't stop writing. And um, some people think that sounds really good, but it's actually not a great experience. And what you write is pretty nonsensical. But a lot of this book was written in that way. It's just the editing process, the revision. Like it was almost like I just had this, I called it the word bank to pull from, ideas from. But um, but yeah, so that's the the idea that this, this might seem paradisical to write mm-hmm. too much, but actually it's a failed attempt mm-hmm. at reaching some kind of perfect state where you feel really connected it's actually just too much and so that's where the title comes from 
And the book itself being here, I think, speaks to um, a triumph. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Which is... Possible. I definitely related to that wolf tree. I was <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like I'm still standing. Surviving. Yeah, the surviving yeah. part, I think, really connects these two books. Because it's like the other attempts, like it gives a sense of ongoingness that outlasts. Yeah, and that, that yeah. there's so many different ways that you, when you go through psychosis and depression and mania, that there, there's just so many times that you're attempting to find something perfect that works and it, it doesn't ever quite seem to. So, um Although I, I'm okay right now, so. <laughs> yeah. and, we'll, and we'll talk more. We're going to talk more about this. We'll take a short break now, um, but we'll be right back, folks. Today on Living Writers, Katie Hartsock is here. Her book, Wolf Trees. Jennifer Metzger is here. Hypergraphia and other failed attempts at paradise. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got Frank Uli behind the glass. We'll be back. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. You've got Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. And today, um, Katie Hartsock, poet Katie Hartsock is here. Poet Jennifer Metzger is here. Um, The book's on the table with us, Wolf Trees and Hypergraphia and Other Failed Attempts at Paradise. Thanks to both of you for picking the songs for today's program. Um, this this last number, Katie Hartsock, you were also responsible for this one. <laughs> we're going to have a couple of your picks, and then we're going to go to Jennifer's. So um, why this one? Oh, well. I mean, why not? But uh, that I have to shout out to my Oakland University colleague, Kevin Lamb, um, who lovingly called my book Hungry Like the Wolf Trees. So thank you, Kevin, who also is a radio DJ um, out of uh, Ferndale, often on Sunday nights. So Oh, shout out yes. to Kevin's program. So more radio. Yes. Radi- radio love, completely. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And Jennifer, do you have do you have any words you want? Do you want to weigh in on Duran Duran at all? Uh, like I their... will tell you a funny Duran Duran the... anecdote I that I read. Felt um, like... Oh, yeah. I thought I was like, maybe you have one. I do. Because <laughs> I was deeply involved in new wave music in the 80s. And I, I learned that Duran Duran, when asked about their lyrics, said they make them purposefully nonsensical. So mm-hmm. as everybody's been trying to decipher like the reflex or whatever, like it actually they <laughs> they said themselves, it means nothing. Which nothing means nothing, of course, but there was no intentionality behind any deep thing going on. So that was their claim, and I, it, it ruined me as a teenager. I was like, "Wait, I've been a, I've been analyzing these lyrics, and 
Yeah, we want it to mean something, it, right? And it can yeah. still mean something. It can. It can. Yeah. That's kind of the important part because it already yeah. does to you and your associations are yeah are yours and yeah. how how does this cuz um hearing you speak about that Jennifer it makes me think of hypergraphia in a way like when yeah, it is. We're producing yeah. words how 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 is that like yeah how are you connecting to that then with your own your making process well what's interesting about having hypergraphia is that more comes out of you than you are understanding or realizing. So when you go back and read it, it's not it's totally unfamiliar to you. So it's often like recalling a dream because you were speaking to yourself there, there's things in there that are just completely meaningful to you and your experience but you didn't know it at the time and it it took you seeing it later when you were saying to really go, "Oh, wow, that's a metaphor for what I was experiencing and you didn't realize it so um but it is like just sprawled stream of consciousness down the page so it took a little work to make it structured and something so how did you decide um with some of the poems in hypergraphia and other failed attempts at paradise um to because I, I was thinking about for both of your books um, how space is used on the page and the different choices. Um, uh, Jennifer, yours, there's even a poem for like uh, redaction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, so you can literally see like, like emptiness on the page as well as it's, 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 um, uh, it's said directly. But then, then we've got these very neat and the, the more central part of um, the, the book um, with, um, release in section two where it's like prose poems yeah. and Katie you're also working in prose poems so let's Jennifer do you want to start about like the sh picking like from this the words that you're making in the subconscious and yeah. everything that's flowing and and then you're seeing it again yeah with sort of new or distanced eyes in some ways yeah definitely how are you shaping it and making choices with structure and yeah I mean I in some ways it's strange because it's like being an editor of yourself because mm. I could see where the, the different themes were and where language play was more intense and where narrative was more present and so I started to have to shape, I had to like, I had to sort of sort things out in terms of like where they went and some things were unfinished and I had to finish them. Um, but I, you know, it, it, there was, there was no, it was, there was, there was just an outpouring. There wasn't really any shaped. And, and I think release that long poem, it's like 19 pages long. Um, I think that was the major, like, that's the thing that, that is probably most like what the writing was originally. There's probably most of those ones are exactly the way they came out. Because they are surreal and dreamlike. Yeah, they have this kind of experience of, of being inside and outside reality. Because the release is, the, is from when I was released from the hospital. So, But also when you go through psychosis, it feels like a kind of release. Mm -hmm. So it has this double meaning. And that, that poem probably represents the most, the closest to what the writing was actually like. And it's also, it's interesting that how you choose to map it on the page it are in, in these squares yeah, yeah. I felt like I wanted to contain the experience in some way because it is so sprawling. It's hard for someone to enter into. So trying to create some sense of readability or structure or narrative was really important to me and giving it space so it wasn't overwhelming. Um, that was important. They're almost, they are almost like they're these very neat islands as you turn each page to get to the 19 pages. 
Yeah. And I, I love that sequence so much. And because of the repetition and like it works so well in a prose poem, because as you say, it contains what is otherwise uncontainable. Um, it reminds me of a crown of sonnets, but like in a prose poem form because of the repetition and the coming back, like the father. Yeah, and the, the father. And I just, I, yeah, it, it's and I think, yeah, the, the, the space around them exactly like anchors them in this really interesting, beautiful way. I love yeah. that sequence. Jennifer, did you happen c- to choose one of these to read? No, but I certainly will. Would you, you would you want you would to like since that. we're, yeah, let if, me find since we're, it. Um, and this was also a, a poem that was chosen to be on Poetry Daily, which was, I was, you know, when I, when you write a 19 page long poem, and it was actually like 30 when I first wrote it, I had to cut it down. You think that no one's ever going to publish that. And then it was published in Bird Feast and then Poetry Daily picked it up. And I thought that was shocking. Um, so I'll just read a few of the sections. Um, okay, this is release. My father photoshops the word waterfall over the waterfall in the photo. In case I didn't know, in case I had forgotten. I admire the word waterfall, a clothed thing. It clambers over rocks, turning natural tricks. If only I could forget about the megachurch over the hill with air-conditioned legs inside. If only I were thirsty or had a vestigial pail. It's like whale watching, waiting for my return, or like waiting for the rain to put out fires in a mega drought. Palm fronds rattle their accordion hands as I open up my mega mouth to accept my share of ashes. So that's the first section. I, I think I'll just read that one. Is that okay? Yeah. Give give us more but that time, internal yeah. rhyme like okay. whale and pale like that like yeah and, and yeah. it comes back to the father period like yeah. a lot of them start with my father and and one thing to know about psychosis is it has a heightened you you go into a state of heightened religio- religiosity mm. so the meaning of father and God really overlap so that there's a point at the end of the poem where I'm saying my father who art in heaven my father you know this isn't that's not you know it's like both fathers at the same time and that was what it was like. Um, there was a point when I was in the hospital where I was screaming for a father and people thought I was screaming for my own father, but I was mm-hmm. screaming for God. So it does get confusing. And then when it comes back at the end to my father who is not in heaven yeah. and, then, and then that, that earthy, earthly connection. Right. Oh. Coming back to the earthly connection is really important. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. amazing that you remember that. Wow. Well, it really t- <laughs> <laughs> it's in my you. heart, I think. <laughs> yeah. That's so lovely. I and, and I was going to be talking about my mega mouth to accept my share of ashes, and that sort of that pales definitely in comparison to what you were saying, Katie. There, but yeah, it's I. That was one of these t- where I was just thinking, ah, these are Jennifer poems. Like I was, you know, not that the others aren't definitely either, but um, there was something about these where I was thinking, ah. Um, I do try to make see uh, it a little bit funny. So yeah, yeah. I know it's. Yeah. Sad. I know that uh, I should. That maybe like seems irreverent, getting into the topic, but yeah. um, you know, it's all about inviting someone into the experience. So yeah, humor is, is critical. Both Definitely. of both of you have heights of um, sadness and pain in the books, as well as humor that makes it more com- uh, complicated. Um, so, Katie. Talk to us a little bit about how you're using the space of the page in Wolf Trees. Yes. Um, 
with the title sequence, so um, the title poem "Wolf Trees" is part two of the book for uh, like section two of four sections, and it's an eleven-part sequence, and some of them are prose and some of them are lineated poetry. And um, I felt like when I began to write about diabetes and experiences I, I associated with diabetes which included also sometimes the history of diabetes. Um, sometimes I went into more of a narrative prose style that somehow sometimes reminded me of like solid ground in a way. And then sometimes those experiences then wanted to be like given that white space of lineation or couplets. Um, and so that started to feel more like coming up or um, a, a tree, a more of a tree-like presence <laughs> out out of there. So and it, it was interesting because I, I do like to write prose poems, but I usually don't write this much in prose. And so, but there was something about the topic that I felt like I needed to ground it in in that meditation that came out in prose. So, and, and when you're you're writing the longer lines and the shape of, of appearing more um, like prose, Katie, like what? How are you working? with the sound of that too because you're never losing that oh thank you (laughs) um I think yeah I mean um one of the um sections that's in prose um contains a lot of dialogue or quotes from like my grandmother for example um and so and then one of the sections also has quotes from um, an essayist uh, in the 1940s who started to promote wolf trees as part of a necessary ecology for the health of the forest. And so so I'm taking like some, some archival things and some then some memories from my own life. And um, and so I think that the natural the natural rhythms of speech are important to me in my work, even when I am writing in lineated poetry. But I think they can still bolster prose in some way that it's so funny that you say that too katie because in other poems not necessarily here in this section with wolf trees but when you say like a a definitely real life speech is important to you you're the one that i had to say now you know the fcc we gotta (laughs) there's Uh a few of these we maybe if you want to read those we'll just have to be exactly exactly yeah right so and those are present next to like i don't know Ovid sometimes, for example, or, mm-hmm. or so. So, Katie, do you, would you? I don't know. Were you planning on reading something from Wolf Tree? You no, know, I wasn't. But maybe I could um, read actually section eight, which um, ends on a joke actually from from my grandmother. Um, um, yeah, who and and you'll learn a little bit about her in this. And so I, I can contextualize it a little bit by saying that. Um, also oh, in oh. you know what let's take a short break and then yep. we'll come back and we'll, we'll hear this poem today on living writers i have got here um katie hartsock and jennifer metzger their books wolf trees and hypergraphia and other failed attempts at paradise you're listening to living writers on wcbn fm and we'll be back
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Katie Hartsock is here and Jennifer Metzger. Um, we're going to hear Katie's poem. But Jennifer, you want to say a few words about that song? Because that's one you chose. Oh, I love that song. Um, I think that's my theme song in life. Um, because of the line, um, I wear black on the outside because black is how I feel on the inside. And I also love the line, if I seem a little strange, well, that's because I am. <laughs> and um, just this whole idea of feeling like that, that, that kind of shameful feeling that you can have, that you're not lovable because you're just too crazy and weird. That's that's my song. <laughs> I, I kind of also feel that it's the very opposite of the that, Jennifer, that it's like, if I seem a little weird, that's because I am. Yeah. And like fiercely. Yeah, there's a, there's a certain fierceness to feeling unlovable. Like that you're just crooning out that you're unlovable. And um, I'm looking for, maybe I, we're going to karaoke maybe this weekend. And yes. I'm, I'm definitely doing that song. Perfect. Yeah. That's your song pick. Katie, yes, do, you, do you have a song pick for the... Or is it Crosstown Traffic? No. Oh, it no, could be. It could be. <laughs> get, get off of my cloud. There you go. <laughs> Let, let's hear the poem, because I feel like um, it, time moves strangely and quickly um, yes. on living writers often. So, yeah. Um, so I, uh, I'm i going to read a section in prose from the title section, Wolf Trees. And um, Wolf Trees is a lot about um, my diagnosis with diabetes and experiences with it. Uh, and that includes um, going through some miscarriages um, before I um, have, I have two beautiful sons uh, now. And those, those other babies are always in my heart. And so they're also in this book. And, um, and so with that kind of stake, like being, having, um, Pregnancy as a diabetic is extra stressful because you're usually taking care of yourself, but when you're pregnant, you're also taking care of this child whose blood shares your blood. And so if that blood gets too high of sugar um, with those in organs that are forming, it can cause a lot of problems. And um, I worked really hard um, during those pregnancies. And so um, to, to and I'm, I'm glad it turned out like it did, but I also want to just like share love with all diabetic mamas out there and um and 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 good work (laughs) Um, but this is section eight my grandmother will be referenced here and she's also a diabetic so this just gives a little bit of background to like what happens here in section eight you're a little long in the tooth to be having a baby my grandmother chuckled at me wolf trees don't have teeth anymore in fact their gummy open gullets are more like wombs The sparrows know something like this, they who build a nest in the growling mouth of the dragon statue down the street, flying freely in and out. She grew up in the Depression and usually does not laugh at her own jokes. Like a wolf tree, her face is the craggiest kind of beautiful. An old diabetic, she'd call herself with some bitterness. She is not many years away from becoming a snag, a decayed and hollow trunk. All the conservation biologists are now likewise advising. Don't cut down. Precisely because they're dead, they shelter life. I don't think she was being mean. I think she likes saying things other people don't, to preserve certain turns of phrase, long in the tooth, or I won't have no truck with so-and-so. I think she was worried. Head nurse of the maternity ward for decades, she once delivered ten babies in one night, once a 15-pound baby. 
The mother was an old diabetic, she said, laying every ounce of blame on the body she had seen inside. And the baby? Not good to look at. I think for all her worries, she likes the spirit of a good surprise, like her remark once that Sean Connery probably has plenty of good sperm left. Another virtue of the wolf tree, in their old age and breadth, they are prolific seed producers. Or, like a watermelon roast, hearing that I attended a bonfire on a beach with a group of friends, she asked if we had a watermelon roast. What's that? Oh, it's when guys and girls have a fire and someone throws a watermelon in and it explodes and everybody goes into the bushes and has a piece. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was 19 when she I was 19 when she told me that and I was like what? Like, did yeah. you, did I had never just, heard of that that was, that was a Barbara Hartsock joke right wow. there so yeah and, and that's, that's also really I would say a, a vintage Katie poem yeah. as well like a yeah what awesome. I really love about it too is it's storytelling quality that 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 the you know poetry can allow for for things to move from like complete completely experimental into this completely narrative place and that feels like wolf tree too because <laughs> stories are so old and they yeah. they just continue to be told and there's these stories being told to me i feel like there's there's passed down stories and language in here it's great thank you yeah and i think that the the shifting i i i want the I, I I love when poems, and I hope my poems allow for those quick shifts. Yeah, and I, feel I really like, appreciate I feel like that. yours do that a lot too, Jennifer, and yours T too. Yeah. Yeah. When are we going to interview T? <gasps> oh yeah, <laughs> really soon I hope. <laughs> now I'm turning the color of an apple. <laughs> um, well, so before um, before today I said please choose some poems to read because I won't request that you read anything in particular and now I feel like that's sort of we've turned that on the head a little bit <laughs> so I'm really interested you know which poems would you what would you like to read today so that we can get like an insider like step into um the books like, like more even more Okay, do you want me to start? Katie yeah. is pointing at me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought it would be it would be good to read just the title poem of this book, which is also the first poem in the book, um, because I feel like it kind of captures the experience of um, the sort of heightened feeling of psychosis and the excitement or thrill, but then the way it turns suddenly as it goes on it turns very dark and and can kind of end in depression so this poem kind of has the up and the down um so i'll read this it's hypergraphia and other failed attempts at paradise it's the dereliction of stray facts the furry heat of them that makes me chase half truths i'll write anything fanatical to make me forget this tortured life of canapes and calculators and corsets those starfish, those creek swallowers, those dangerous words and collisions with the past. The suffering of nonsense seems like fun until my room is being terrorized by birthday cards, prosaic stars, the fleecing of our pensions, the phony fruit, the hungry tongues, a wetted stone for sharpening our fingers. I cannot see handshakes for what they are, turned clay, handmade, because hands are everywhere, washing off the viruses. Fill a super collider with balsa planes, 
witness all the planes colliding. Then there is Canada with its vast ice plains. Then there is water and no water. Moons come in a variety of colors. But there aren't enough pillows for everyone. There aren't enough soft landings. There aren't enough drink carts or cave dwellings. There aren't enough trees or heads on Easter Island. There aren't enough mysteries to make this interesting. Thanks, Jennifer. Yeah, thank you for letting me share. Wait, when did you write that particular poem? This was written in a state of hypergraphia. When, when, but when, when did you, like, um, I guess what I mean is when you're putting together this group, this manuscript mm-hmm. of poems, like when I, was it one of the first poems that then became because more things were happening so yeah, you kept I mean, writing I have, or well, hypergraphia happens periodically when i when things get out unmanageable it's a sign that i need to figure that i have to catch myself and stop myself from going too far and sometimes i can't and i will go into complete psychosis um but like when i wrote these lines the moons moons come in a variety of colors i literally thought that was true so i was writing what i've written here I thought was really happening. So to look back on it later is so strange. Um, But yeah, so, you know, I I couldn't and I can't recall exactly, you know, but I did piece it together from different places, from different things to make this. Um, And and did you know that um, when you were shaping, like pulling this into sections and finding the poems that were neighbors and that were of of a thing together to make this, this arc, this, this this happening here when did you know that this was going to be the lead poem and is that what influenced then the title of the book too or how did you it's funny because for a long time this poem wasn't even part of it because I thought it was a terrible poem for some reason like I thought because I had written it totally like this was things I really believed I was like this can't possibly be a good poem and I had the title and I and I but I was the poem was the book was originally called release and it was really based around Mm. that poem but then one, I was revising, and I reordered this book a million times because you can see it needed, obviously, organization was an issue. Um, and I, I even bought, like, a 10-foot-long dining room table so I could organize my poetry <laughs> book, and I just walked around trying to do that. And this poem made its way in and then eventually made its way to the title. And then when it was picked up by New Issues Press, I said to them, oh, you know, I feel a little uncomfortable now about this title. And they said, oh, that they loved it and that I shouldn't feel, because I, I suddenly felt very self-conscious. And they said, no, 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 that's the title. Yeah. So that's how it happened. I just had no faith in that poem until like almost the very end of getting it published. So Wow. Because it feels like just such a springboard into yeah, the... Yeah, you know, it's so strange. I mean, it puts that, you immediately in this space. Like, I mean, it is like the... The collisions with the past, those dangerous words, canapes and calculators and corsets, like it just it just like it, it makes me so ready to read this book. Yeah, it's so it was so strange that it was the, probably the last thing to enter the book. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It was just it was the doubt, you know, it was the like this. This is insanity. It can't possibly be you know, have value. So. But it does. Yeah, there's some there, meaning there, there is. And, there, and I would argue that there is some inside of insan- inside of insanity inside of psychosis there is something being said mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that and that's one thing i i do write about when i write essays that i write about how those stories we tell ourselves in our minds don't get shared like when your doctor says how are you they don't say so what was that apocalyptic world like that you dreamed up and lived in for so long no one's ever asking you that 
and you live alone with these stories and they're just in there. It's like, it's strange. It's like the way you might, if you, if you remember your dreams and you wake up in the morning, that's what it's like, but it was real. <laughs> so it's, so I, that's why I didn't. And, but now I actually can see like, e even though I don't want to become psychotic again, there's a sense mm. that it's, it, there is something to those stories. And I think that, I just love that with the last line, there aren't enough mysteries to make this interesting because then I think it becomes the opposite of itself. Yeah, like, it's the opposite. I mean, it's like there are <laughs> enough mysteries and this is endlessly just pulling us in. Yeah. So I love how the last line is like a dare almost. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it is. It's like because if you go up that high, you're, you're going to go down. And in depression, there aren't enough mysteries to make anything interesting. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's, that, it's that failure after seeking such a high. We're not seeking it, but it finds it finds you. Yes. Um, let's you know what? Let's take a short break and then we'll come back and we'll hear a poem um, from Katie Hartsock out of Wolf Trees um, today on Living Writers. You just heard Jennifer Metzger read the title poem for Hypergraphia and Other Failed Attempts at Paradise. Um, Katie Hartsock is here with her book, Wolf Trees, that is um the book, the pre-release party, is, is at Literati this coming Friday, also with Jennifer Metzger um, at Literati, 6.30 p.m. Um, we'll take a short break and we'll be back. Suzanne takes you down to a place by the river can hear the boats go by you can spend the night forever and you know that she's half crazy and that's why you want to be there and she feeds you tea and oranges that come all the way from china and just when you mean to tell her that you have no Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Glad that you're here with us for the last quarter hour today here in the studio. Katie Hartsock and Jennifer Metzger, poets both. Um, Katie, will you read us something from Wolf Trees? Sure. Um, and I was thinking of reading this poem that um, goes in with what Jennifer was saying about strange ways poems shift their location or even their belonging to the book. Um, I'll read a poem called Studies in Devotion. And when I read this, um, when I was writing this book, I um, didn't know what poem was going to be the beginning. Um, and when I finished this poem, I thought, oh, this poem is the beginning. Um, and I was really sure of that for a long time. And and then I found out I was wrong. So now it's the how, it's, did, how did you find out? It's the fourth poem. Um, you know, I was I was getting some feedback. I was trying different things. I also love to print the whole thing out and move it around. And um, I just decided that instead of the springboard, maybe it was like the in the fourth or fifth place. Like that, maybe there needed to be a little bit of build up to this in a way. Um, but, um, but yeah, for a while it held number one place. <laughs> um, it's so interesting to hear how you build a book 
like how you think about these pieces and what they are and the work that they do because they're on the like they're themselves in the world but then here they're they're together in this place doing something else entirely and they do have other roles to play yeah. or so yeah. It, thanks for both of you for talking about this. This is great because maybe some folks listening are thinking about putting together a manuscript yeah. or so. Yeah, and it's definitely good to embrace the paper and yeah. shift it around. And you know, maybe Jennifer will loan you her ten foot long table, <laughs> <laughs> taking <awesome>. reservations. <laughs> yeah, rent it out. Definitely, <laughs> it should definitely be an Ann Arbor thing. Like yeah. my ten foot dining table is available for rental for poets <laughs> for, working on manuscripts. Right, right. This is a manuscript organizing table. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I think before I read it, I'll just say that um, there are, and also to echo Jennifer, like there are some poems in here that think about conversations with doctors. Um, I did have a, a fantastic doctor in Chicago, and her name was um, Dr. Andrea Rentia, Anthroposophic Medicine. And she actually did say, like, go look at Raphael paintings as, like, part of the prescription she gave wow. me. Um, so she was incredible. And so that's that, that comes in here. But and um, part of the poem is an ekphrastic description of the Madonna di Foligno. So... And it connects to the song we just heard. It does. Yeah, so it quotes um, the Leonard Cohen song, which was performed just there by the fantastic Nina Simone and her version, and I love her version. Um, and if you go to look at the Madonna di Foligno, you will also notice that John the Baptist really does look like Rod Stewart in that painting. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> just like he's Rod the Bod's right there <laughs> with all the camel hair and everything. Anyway, um, so... Studies in Devotion. He reaches for my insulin pump, the size of a strawberry under my sleeve. He thinks it's me, the programmed opaque reservoir that feeds my blood and drips. Expecting it to yield like skin to his touch, he outlines the hard edges until enough is known for now. We shift into the pose of mother and slippery child in Raphael's Madonna di Foligno, the, doc the painting a doctor prescribed to me. Not for Jerome or his lion, not for Francis's hands like winter branches singing to faraway shapes, not for John the Baptist, his Rod Stewart hair and wiry biceps, and not for the woman or the babe who squirms to sail out of her arms. My doctor, she was very good, directed my gaze to the children's faces surrounding Mary. They have become the clouds they float inside. Some look at her and some look at each other. Some have been reading James Wright and cup their sister's cheeks. They ripple tensely. They can hardly contain their happiness. Others prefer Leonard Cohen. They are leaning out for love, and they will lean that way forever. Look at them for a long time, a little each day, my doctor instructed. And I did, holding a screen in my lap in a Chicago flat. The man who commissioned the work kneels below them, caped in fur-lined red. Something fiery fell from the sky and into his house, but he lived. Paint me alone among the saints. Paint me in my gratitude. This happened years ago. On earth they gather around the ground, torn open by the disaster. A womb of nothingness that filled, healed shut. And now these green and yellow tufts grow there, as if dormant seeds were harrowed back to life. And in the middle, across his messenger's chest, a cherub holds a blank bronze plaque, still waiting for its words, the way the uninscribed can wait. 
Oh, thanks, Katie. I love an acrostic poem, and I just adore the way that you have described these babes, <laughs> that the, what they have become, the clouds, and oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, I always, I whenever I look at art history paintings with that have the the babies in them, yeah. I'm always really fascinated with how they're, in, and and then cherubs are also, and then there's like a kind of like, I don't know, that's just does an amazing description. Oh, thank you. Um, and and just so 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 sad at at the end, um, yet also strong, um, though both both things. Um, and one of the weird things about that painting is the the cherub is holding it's it's blank. Yeah, like yeah. there's no there was supposed to be an inscription, but I forget now the exact reason why either Raphael didn't decide on one or the man who commissioned the painting which this painting has a weird history of like possible UFO evidence in the Renaissance wow. because so they think it's a um, an asteroid or whatever it is called when it hits the earth that might have like hit his house and exploded it and that's when he commissioned the painting saying I'm so happy I lived let's make a painting to like celebrate and and then there's like in the background there's this vision of this thing falling out of the sky into this Italian village commemorating like what hit him or what yeah. what hit his house and and then he's like over the place that hit the ground he's like thank goodness I'm alive and he's surrounded by saints who obviously are not alive at the same time <laughs> he right. was it's a really weird painting and like but some people read it as like a old ufo That's right funny. um evidence like in the renaissance so weird weird yeah. stuff but then the thing the the plaque is blank yeah. and i don't know if he never decided what he wanted there mm -hmm. the words but there's no words where there's supposed to be words and that also really drew me to it that's a beautiful, yeah, and, and now, as you describe him, he's a wolf tree. He might yeah. be. He, <laughs> he has, might be. He has these things around him that are not of the same time. That is yes. so true. Yes. I never thought yeah. of that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I never thought of that. Wow. Yeah. But he lived. But he lived. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for teaching me something about my poem. <laughs> wow. I thought that was totally intentional. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought so, too. <laughs> I love how this one also, the studies and devotion connects to a future poem, um, which has got one of the best titles. I mean, they so many, both of you do so many awesome things with titles. Um, but the one I'm thinking of is very long and it's about baptism. Um, let's see, where are we? Am I getting it? Oh, and the glucose tablet. So. Yeah. Oh, wait, making a mullet. Maybe it's before. Wait, uh, it's no, on page I missed 46. It. 46, um, okay. If you secretly wish your child could be secretly baptized. <laughs> I love this because I think Rod Stewart's in this one, too. Uh, John the Baptist is in this one. Oh, John but the I, Baptist. But I love that same, same. You know, now the, right. they've become the same. That's, yeah. <laughs> it completely is that. I meant to say. To, uh, I hope Rod Stewart's listening. I, I'm glad that I'm the comic relief today with a, like this. Um, I hope yeah. John the Baptist is listening, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Everyone. <clears throat> all the saints and pre-saints and all the sinners, too. Um <laughs> Yes, this is. Um, I feel. <laughs> I feel so torn because um, I love. I've loved today. Whoop there. Um, today's program and to hear also um, 
both of you not only read your poems, but responding to each other's um, work has been a real a light, a real um, a gift. And to see how, because um, reading both the books just, you know, to prepare too, it's interesting how then they become partners or so. And you both, from the beginning, you've talked about almost connections between the two. Like when we're thinking about... Um, religion and God and um, and I love the idea of God-sized brains too, mm. Jennifer. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and But then how that there's just so many of these connections like, like Jennifer in the, the title poem you have a tree and then Katie's a real tree. <laughs> I mean, not that where it's like a game of hide and seek but, um, but, but there's so many ways they speak to each other. Is, are there things that you also... Um, have heard today that oh it definitely um even just thinking about um the way that katie is is like there's there's doctors and yes. there's family and then there's religion and hope and devotion and all, how all these things like there's like these grounded things that you that you're dealing with when you're dealing with the body and you're dealing with illness but then there's also this kind of ephemeral thing that you're that where it's outside of you, like it's like that thing where you know, you're supposed to you you want to pray even if you're not religious when you're going through something hard like that. And so I think that the the movement between ground and sky I think has been a, a theme I've seen here. Yeah, and and just on the idea of um, great titles one, but also two, <laughs> um, like looking for symbols and signs and. Whether that happens in a in a state of excess or not knowing yourself, or right. but or whether that happens when maybe we are seeing something true, like that really resonates for me because yeah. I think sometimes we're conditioned to be like if we have that instinct, like oh this is a sign, mm-hmm. but then there's also you know the world we live in will brush that aside Absolutely. really easily and say that's not a sign. Absolutely. Like, but poets don't. Yeah, right. but poets don't. And, and there, so, there's a part of our brain that that creates salience that we if we didn't have that part we wouldn't make meaning in anything. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we do need to put things together in that way. It's just when you have hyper salience when you're when everything's a sign it becomes a little overwhelming. Right. It doesn't mean that those things don't have some power or merit in some regard. Yeah, like if I can quote the last line of Jennifer's book, um, which has the great title, Delusions of Reference in a Dark Room. I love that's such a great title. But the, the poem ends, then I glance at the flowers someone placed beside my bed. A petal falls and the universe reaches its natural conclusion. <laughs> but- Jennifer, would you want to would you want to read Katie's last yes. last sentence? Oh my gosh, that's delightful! I love I love that idea. Okay, let's let's see. Uh, let me turn to it here. Katie closes with, "Oh wow, it's a very very long sentence. It is a long sentence. But I um but I'll start. I won't start too because I know we're running out of time. So I'll say." It was you. Is this? Am I? Am I on the right page here? Is this? The yeah, right that's spot? okay. Yeah, it was you and the boy and white tables and chairs adrift like cottonwood seeds in the sense somehow deeper in the dark of all the blossoms in this world. <laughs> the world is in both of the, our endings. In blossoms. Oh, blossoms. Oh, how funny! Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh! I love it. Thank you both for talking today. For 
being living writers, being here, um, you're also going to be reading more poems from both Wolf Trees and Hypergraphia and other failed attempts at paradise this Friday at Literati, 6.30 p.m., folks. Um, put it on your calendars. And um, thanks so much. Thank for you today. so much, Thank to you, you, Thank you, Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. This was such a delight. Thanks to Frank for engineering. Um, Again, Katie Hartsock, her book, Wolf Trees, and Jennifer Metzger, Hypergraphy and Other Failed Attempts at Paradise. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time.